That was for our band. Thank you. That was good. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Let's do this thing. So, uh, again, we want to thank you so much for being here today. We appreciate you all being here. We appreciate our musicians. We appreciate all of our volunteers serving in various capacities. And did anybody leave during the Nobody left during the offering. I warned you. I warned you that we were going to be talking about money in this message, and that's what we're going to be talking about. And so since that's the topic of the day, I felt like it would be appropriate to give you a little financial report. And so uh, here at the church, we've got our, uh, our treasurer, Mr. Joshua David Peterkin. Um, you guys know Josh, right? Every time I mention his name, there's applause. It just breaks out. It's fantastic. But, but Josh is a former math teacher and a current uh, principal, so he's an administrator, and he's a math wizard. And isn't that exactly the person you want running your finances? <laughs> yes. So God has blessed us with him and our finance committee and our board of directors. So I've got some information. So Josh is here to kind of watch my numbers and make sure I'm giving you the correct information. First off, I want to let you know that... Um, for those of you who have been a part of the church for a while, you might remember this number. Um, before the year began, we sat down uh, with our leadership and tried to figure out, okay, God, what do we need? How much money do we need to do ministry this year? And after a lot of discussion, we came up with this number, uh, $72,045.92. So that was a pretty specific number. <laughs> So that's what we were looking to God. We're going to trust you to provide that. Uh, you know, it's a lot of money, especially for a new church, but we just were praying to God and asked for provision there. And so uh, Josh did some more math for us, figured out how many times we were meeting, how many times that offering plate going around. Uh, our Christmas Eve offering doesn't stick with us. It goes to a, a local ministry. Um, our Easter offering, that goes to our Kenya trip. So we had to deduct those Sundays, deduct those worship services. And we calculated, well, not me. Don't worry, I'm not doing the math, all right? <laughs> but it was calculated that we needed $1,500.92 per week to make that budget. Is that right? Does that sound right to you? Okay, so that's the numbers that we needed. And so I want to give you a little bit of update of where we are right now. Um, our current average uh, per week is $1,732. And so, again, even if you're not a math genius, you can see that that's more than we need. What do they call that? A surplus? Right. So that's about 200, over $200 more than we anticipated. And so that's cause to celebrate, I think. Why not? Sure. Sure. And so this is part of my job as the pastor is I pay attention to what's going on in the life of the church and I look for things to celebrate. I see new people stepping up. I see volunteers. I see new ministries happening. Those are all great things to celebrate. But this is also something to celebrate. The fact that God is blessing us this way. And, and we have some thank yous to give out. We have three specific thank yous that I want to give out. And the first thank you goes to God because we trust and we believe that this provision is from God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. You guys know that one? Yes, we want to praise God for this. And we have that belief. And we have this belief as a church that as long as we're staying in God's will and trying our best to make this church to be about what God wants us to be about, that God will continue to bless us financially. So we want to thank you, God, for your provision. Second, thank you goes out to all of you. Thank you for believing in this church. Thank you for your support. Thank you for being a part of this. Not just the, the finance thing, but thank you for all of you who come in and set up the chairs and lead the various ministries. Thank you so much. This is weird. Give yourselves a round of applause. Thank you so much. We really do appreciate you. And, of course, the third thank you goes out to Josh and our leadership, our finance committee, our board directors. Thank you. You've got people who are very, very careful, very intentional. They're good stewards. They're, they're, well, thrifty might not be the right way. I mean, really intentional about how we use the funding. You know, you know, when you put money in that offering plate, we know that's a big deal to part with your hard-earned income. And so we've got people who lead this church who are very, very mindful about how we use that funding. So thank you to those of you who are leaders. We really appreciate you. I appreciate you. We appreciate you. Okay, so that, that made sense to kind of start a sermon about money with that, that kind of stuff. So 
So here's the thing. Um, Before the church started, before Hope started, I made a little deal with myself, a little pact with myself. I said, okay, Josh, once a year, you're going to talk about money. Once a year, you're going to do this thing of talking about money. Uh, the Bible has a lot to say about money, how we view money, how we think about money, how we spend money, how we waste money, how we, how we invest money. So I've got to talk about it once a year, and I haven't done that. <laughs> I failed to do that. I think we're four and a half years old, and I've talked about money two times, maybe three times, like two and a half. Um, so I failed to do that. The reason I failed to do that is because I don't want to talk to you about money. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. It's one of the most sensitive issues there is to talk about. There are two main issues that we don't want to hear discussed in church. One is money, and the other is S-E-X, okay? We don't want to hear about that. The Bible has a lot to say about those two things, and, and we don't, you know, we don't, I don't want to talk to you about it. You don't want to hear about it. And it's funny. I think about how many times I've talked to you about sex in the life of this church. I'm more willing to go there than to talk about money. I just don't want to talk about it. One of the reasons I want to talk about it is because so many people, and, and, and for just cause, for good cause, so many people are suspicious of churches and money and how they handle money and what they're all about. You know that, right? There's ideas out there. Oh, those churches, they're just after your money. They want to get you to come in and sit in their chairs, sit in their pews, listen to the thing, and get, they're going to guilt you into taking, you know, you're going to give your money. They just, they're after your money. That's the perception. It's a perception that exists across the country and very specifically right here in Southern Delaware County. Ah, churches, we're suspicious of churches because they're just after your money. And while I don't want to feed in to that suspicion. I mean, that's why people like me, there are a lot of preachers who just don't talk about money. We don't want to feed into that suspicion. Ah, they're just after your money. But the reason that suspicion exists is because there have been a lot of ministries and Christian organizations and churches that have been after our money. And so there's a reason that negative perception exists, and, and, and really, and so I get it. I get when people have that suspicion. I say this to people a lot. I'm very suspicious of churches and ministries and things like that. I appreciate the irony of that. But, uh, but I am. And when I hear about, oh, there's this new cause, there's this new ministry, really, what are they about? What are they about, right? And so I understand why people are suspicious of that cause. So that's one of the reasons I don't want to talk to you about this, all right? I don't want to feed into that suspicion. I don't want people to think that we're just, you know, after money or whatever it is because oh, we're not. <laughs> and those of you who have been around for a while, I think you know that and you trust that that's not what we are about. But unfortunately, there are churches in this area that have become about that, that have become about that. And sometimes, sometimes it has something to do with greed. You know, a church is just like, yeah, we want money so we can do better things, so we can pay this person, so we can do this, so we can do that. But, but most of the time, it's about panic, okay? Let me explain what I mean. As a church is, is, you know, established, and it's big, and it's large, and they've got a lot of overhead, and they've got all these bills to pay, and all of a sudden, the attendance starts to decrease, and the money starts to decrease, they kind of go into panic mode. And when a church leadership, when they're in panic mode, they start thinking, what are we going to do? How can we keep our doors open? And so without really intent, without, without being about greed or without a lot of intentionality, sometimes a church's focus can shift to the wrong place. And instead of trying to do the work of God, instead of trying to share the gospel, instead of trying to help people and meet needs as they come up in the community, a church starts thinking about how can we keep afloat? How can we get people in here and get their money so we can stay in business and keep the doors open? And we see that happen. We don't have to look far. <laughs> We see that happening in our own community. That is why uh, we have a, a few rules. I'm going to share a couple of our rules. A few rules when it comes to how, as a church, how we think about money, how we go about you know, um, using money, and how we go about collecting that money. We don't want to feed into those suspicions. And so one of our big rules as a church is that we don't do any fundraising for our budget. 
We don't do any fundraising for our church budget. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Don't you do like that yard sale in the fall or in the spring, and, and don't you do that? Yes, we do a yard sale for Kenya. We're not against fundraising for other causes. You know, if there's a cause in our community, if we need to raise money for a, you know, a family in need, if we need to do a, do a fundraiser for our Kenya trip, that's, that's fine. You know, we'll be careful about it, but that's fine. But we don't do any fundraising for our church budget to meet our church budget needs. That means we don't do the spaghetti dinners. We don't do the car washes. We don't do the pumpkin sales. We don't do the, there's like a billion and a half. We don't do the candy things. We don't do the candles. We don't do, you know these things, right? These fundraisers, right? We don't do those things because we don't want to feed into that perception that already exists in the community. Ah, they're just after our money. And like I told you, I'm very suspicious of that. And I get, I get a little bit frustrated. You know, there's some churches, every time I turn around, they're doing another fundraiser. For what? What are you raising money for? To save people's lives? To buy water filters? To help family need? No, we're raising mo- money for ourselves. Really? Every time, there's one church in particular, man. Don't get me started. Every time I turn around, another fundraiser. What are you doing? We don't want to feed into that mentality. We don't want to operate from a place of panic. Oh, we need money. How are we going to get it? We don't want to do that. We want to trust God. We want to trust God. That means that 100% of our budget needs are met by people who believe in what we're doing. They're met by you, okay? 100% of our budget needs come from people who believe in what we're doing, people who trust that this really is of God, people who trust that Christ is the center of this, and who are comfortable and even joyful (laughs) about giving to us. Now, we do have a few friends from our partner church, our sister church, you know, Bethlehem Church, just a few who believe in what we're doing and support what we're doing and who love us and, and want to be about this work. And so there's some, some financial support from there, but mostly it's from this room. You know, when that plate gets passed around, that's the only kind of quote-unquote fundraising that happens. Another one of our roles, and we have a few more, and these are really for me, and some of this is just based on my own personal experience of what I've been uncomfortable with, but... Um, Another one of the things that we do, and you've probably noticed this if you've been around for, for long enough, um, when, before that offering place gets passed around, what do I always say? <laughs> Whoever does that bit, what do they always say? You're, if you're a visitor, if you're a guest, you're under no obligation. We want to make that clear. We want to make that known, that the people who come in as guests, the people who are visitors, the people who are not yet a part of this ministry, they are under no obligation to put anything in that plate. And the reason is this. Those of us who see ourselves as the church, we are the church. We are Hope Community Church. We collectively share this financial burden, financial responsibility to keep this thing going. That's, that's on us. It's not on the people out in the community. It's not on the visitors. It's not on the guests. And when you bring someone into this space, you want to tell them beforehand, hey, I want you to come to church with me today. Don't put anything in that offering plate. That's not for you. Let them know that. Let them know that. It's not up to them to fund our ministry, okay? We're not taking money from the community. No, we're supposed to be a sending agency. We send resources into our community. And so that's another one of our roles. It's like we're not asking the community to support our ministry. The ministry should be supporting the community, right? Have you seen? I don't see them anymore, but for a while this bugged me, and I don't want to step on anybody's toes, but I'm going to say this anyway. But there are all these signs up in the, I guess, like the Swarthmore area, Save Our Parish. Have you seen those signs? Save Our Parish, Save Our Parish, Save Our Parish. No website, no details on how to do that <laughs> or even what that meant. I'm thinking, wait a minute, isn't the parish supposed to be saving the people? What is this? You're asking the community to support your church, isn't the church supposed to be supporting the people? And so, listen, that might sound really hypercritical or, or judgmental, but that's, sorry. <laughs> sorry, but that's just, what, that's what goes through my mind when I see these things. We're supposed to be a sending agency, we're supposed to be a giving agency, and so that's, that's the deal. And like I said, we're just, we're going to trust God. Collectively, as a church, we're going to trust God 
that if he's called us to do this ministry, and if he's laid these things before us, what we should be about, then he's going to provide those resources, and he's going to provide them. You know, I mentioned earlier that we have this quote-unquote surplus, but when it comes to God's economy, I don't believe in a surplus. In fact, we had a board meeting this past Tuesday, and I shared that very thing. We don't believe there is such a thing as a surplus in God's economy. God's giving us those funds so that we can use them for something. He already has them designated. We just have to figure out what he wants us to do with them. And you know, there have been some needs that have come up over the course of the year that we did not budget for, and God's like, yep, I got you covered. You know, one, let me share a couple of those. Uh, one of them was while we were in Kenya, we, we learned about a feeding program that they were doing over there. We didn't know they were going to start this feeding program. They didn't, we didn't know they were going to try to feed this, you know, all the children in this school. We found out about that, and we found out they needed money. Well, here was God saying, well, let me, let me give you some money so you can give it to them. And so from our surplus, we were able to send them $1,000 so they can get that program off the ground. Again, it's not something we had budgeted for, but God took care of us. He knew. God knew that was going to come up. Something else, this is maybe you know, a different kind of issue, but you know, we had an intern over the summer who did amazing work for us. We didn't have an intern stipend in our budget. We didn't know that was going to happen, right? God knew it was going to happen. And so we were able to present him with a stipend to thank him for the work that he did. So these, as these needs come up, God's saying, look, I got you covered. I got you covered. And so again, in God's economy, I don't believe there is such a thing as a surplus. God already has the funds designated, and it's just up to us as a church collectively to figure out, okay, where do these funds need to go? And so that's the church and money. Let's talk about you. <laughs> Let's talk about you and money now. That's the tough thing. There are a lot of myths that exist about money. So I want to address a couple of these like misconceptions or myths that exist about money. Um, if you give money to a church, if you give generously to a church, I just want to make sure you know that doesn't make you any more saved, <laughs> okay? It doesn't. It doesn't make you any more of a Christian, all right? When you put money in that offering plate, it's not like God's like, ooh, thank you very much. Okay, I'm going to get you an extra nice room. And it doesn't, doesn't work like that, okay? And the only reason, and I feel like you all know that, right? I feel like most of you know that. But the only reason I have to address it is because over the centuries, there have been churches or, you know, people in some quote-unquote Christian leadership who have kind of put these ideas out there. Ah, oh, put some money in the plate and you'll get some special powers from the beyond or something like that. Put some extra money in the plate and we can pray for your deceased loved ones and they'll all go to heaven. Like, that, that's not a thing, Okay. <laughs> So in other words, you can't financially contribute to your own salvation, okay? Let's just make that clear. You cannot financially contribute to your own salvation. Jesus died on the cross for us, for you, for me. He's paid that debt. Whatever you put in this offering plate has nothing to do with your salvation. Now, some of the money that you put in there, in fact, when you put money in the offering plate, it can go towards helping spread that message of salvation to other people. So you can be in back to other people's lives, but your own salvation? No. What you put in an offering plate has nothing to do with your own salvation. Let's just clarify that, all right? <clears throat> I don't want you to have that misconception. Here's another thing. And this is, I've struggled with, how am I going to say this? How am I going to say this politely? Um, if you put money in that offering plate, that does not entitle you to special consideration, Okay? You know what I mean by that? So there's this thing that sometimes can happen where it's like, well, I know this family, they're big supporters of the church, and I know they've got this sin issue going on, but I'm not going to address that because we need their money. Like, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. When you put money in that offering plate, it is not entitled to you a special, special treatment, special consideration. Oh, okay, well, there are big... And, and I've seen this kind of thing unfold. In fact, um, a missionary that I know, he was telling me this story about... Um, you know, missionaries, they're out in the field, they're doing ministry, they rely on people to support them and fund them, and so uh, one of his sponsors, one of his supporters was engaged in this messy sin issue, and so the missionary called him out and said, you can't live like this, you can't do this, and instead of changing his life, the guy said, well, I'm not going to give you money anymore. Well, fine, so be it. 
And so that's the kind of thing is that, you know, put money in that offering plate is not, it does not entitle you to special treatment or special consideration. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, you heard the scripture passage. Let's talk about this tithe thing, this tithe thing. This comes, there's some myths about this tithe thing that we want to clear up. First off, let's divide, define this tithe thing. A tithe is 10%. Tithe means giving 10% back to God. You receive an income and you give 10% back to God. You notice how I'm saying that? Back to God. And that in and of itself is possibly the most challenging concept when it comes to tithing, this idea that we're not giving to God, we're giving back to God. You know, for so many of us Christians, we're, we're willing to praise God and give Him thanks for the things that He does in our lives, for, for when He heals us, for when He you know, heals our loved ones, for, for the relationships He brings to us. We're willing to give God praise for all these things, but there's a little tricky thing when it comes to money. Sometimes we struggle with that. Sometimes we want to say, God, you've given me all this stuff, but I've worked for my money. I've earned it. You know, that's not a blessing. That's, that's a payment received for a job. Well done. I've worked hard for this. And so and I've kind of described it in an ugly way. But you see where I'm going with that? We struggle a little bit with that because it's not a gift. If you work for it, how is it a gift? But there's this strange concept that we find, and it's like some people think, well, you've either earned it or you've been blessed by God, but, but there really can be an overlap with these two things. And so that's another thing. I don't want you to feel like, you know, the fact that God has blessed you somehow takes away from the fact that you've worked hard and you've earned it. Both are true. <laughs> you have, I'm looking at some hardworking people here. You have worked hard. You have earned it. And God has also blessed you with the ability to work hard and to earn it. You know people who are perhaps, you know, just as qualified for you as your job or even maybe more educated, and they don't have that job because God has somehow connected you with that ability to earn and not somebody else. And so to be able to say, God, thank you for everything you've given me, for the education, for the skills, for the job, for the whatever it is, however much or however little, thank you, God, for blessing me with what I have. And so that's, like I said, you know, the 10% thing, that could be a sticky thing, but the concept of giving back, not giving to, but giving back to God, that's the tithe. So let's take a look at this thing. And this is from Malachi, and I know that's the Old Testament, so we'll talk about the relevance and all that. And so Bob read first, beginning at verse 10. I'm going to back up a little bit. If you have a Bible with you, you can uh, look this up if you so desire. Malachi or Malachi, if you prefer. <laughs> it's about this far back. It is the last book in the Old Testament. Um, and so that's chap chapter 3 here. And so this is basically this prophet, and he's speaking the words of God to the nation of Israel. I'm going to start with verse, verse 6. Okay, and this is the Lord speaking. He says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, the, the Hebrews, the Israelites, so you are not destroyed. You know, God made the promise to these people. He would not destroy them, and he hasn't. Ever since, and now God's giving the people a little history of themselves, all right? Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees. Ever since I established you as a nation, and ever since I gave you rules to live by, ever since I gave you decrees to live by, you've been turning away from them. This entire relationship we've had, I've been looking out for you, I've been setting boundaries, and you've been wanting to do your own thing in this entire, the entire time. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord God Almighty. Go back to living the way I taught you to live. And my blessing will return to you. I will return to you. I will be your God as long as you'll let me be your God. This is, this is, I mean, that's the Old Testament in a nutshell, this back and forth relationship between God and the Israelites. They, they love them. They're blessed by them. Oh, God, we love you so much. And then they walk away from them. God's like, you don't want me to be your God? Fine. Okay, I want to be your God. But if you don't want me, 
I'll back off, and then they fall into trouble, and then they're in disgrace, and they get captive, and all this stuff. That's the Old Testament. So it says, return to me, and I'll return to you, says the Lord God Almighty. But how, you ask, how are we to return? And so among all the different laws, all the different commandments, all the different decrees that God gave the Israelites, he told them about this tithe thing. And so he's addressing that specific thing here. He says, will a mere mortal rob God? How could that happen? How could a human being take anything from God? Yet, you rob me, says God. You rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? God, how could we possibly rob you? The answer is this, in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storeroom, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. So here's this concept. Like, how are we robbing you, God? You're not bringing me what I commanded you to bring me. You're not bringing me the full 10%, the full tithe. And so what you had during this period of history is you had people who just weren't giving anything at all and said, well, what's God going to do? I know it's a commandment, but he's not enforcing it, so I'm just going to keep my own money. I worked for it. I earned it. You had other people said, well, I'm going to give some money, and I'll kind of pretend it's the tithe, but nobody knows what I'm really making, so that, you know, no one's going to call me out on it, so I'm going to bring this before God. And God says, no, I know. I know you're robbing me. You might be pretending, oh, yeah, here's my tithe. That's not a tithe. You're robbing me of this. This is the only time where God says, put me to the test. You're having a tough time being separated from your income. I get it. Test me then. Test me then. Give me that 10% and see if you can't live off the 90. Give me that 10% and see if I don't bless you beyond measure, is what the Lord God says. And so this is, there's this idea, you trust me in this, and I'll prove myself trustworthy, is what God says. Now, hang on. Time out. This is the Old Testament. This is God speaking to the nation of Israel. Okay, this is the old law. This is the old covenant. Jesus came into this world and he said, do not think I've come to abolish this law or the covenant. This is what he says in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not think I've come to get rid of this law. I have come to fulfill it. I have come to complete it. We, Christians, we're no longer under this law. We don't have the law of Israel. We're a new thing. We're the church. And so all the commandments that God gave the Israelites, they're not for us. Jesus fulfilled the entirety of the law. He did it. He fulfilled it. He completed it. We're not under this command to tithe. So did you know that? If you ever get told, well, Christians are supposed to tithe, Christians are commanded to tithe, we're not. We don't have to do it. Did you realize that? You don't have to tithe. And yet, some people choose to anyway. What's wrong with these people? What are they thinking? <laughs> you don't have to do this. You don't have to tithe. Why do people do it? And thank God they do. We have a number of people right here in this church who have made this commitment. I'm going to tithe. I'm going to do this thing. It's not easy. And by the way, it's not easy. However much or however little you have, it's not about was this easy or not. No, it's about trusting God. And so even though we're not under the law, we're not commanded to do this, some people still choose to do it. You're not commanded to show up here on a Sunday morning. And yet here you are. You're not commanded to pray every day and read your Bible every day, but how many of them in this room have chosen to do this? Why then? Why are we still doing it? And the simple answer, this is perhaps a bit of an oversimplification, but let me give that to you first here. The simple answer is this. The command is gone. The command is fulfilled, but the promise remains. The command is gone, but the promise of God remains. Go, what does God say? Verse 6, I'm not changing. 
If we continue to trust God with that 10%, what's his promise? I will bless you. What does it say in your bulletin? I want to see that there. That'll be so much, you won't even know what to do with it. I'm going to bless you back. Now, does that mean, okay, I'm going to tithe and then God's going to dump a whole bunch of money in my lap? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe that's not what the blessing looks like in your life. I can't promise that. And that's another thing you see some, you know, some of these television preachers saying, hey, you write us a check and God's going to give you all kinds of money. What do they call that? That prosperity gospel thing? Like, no. No, 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 no. No. doesn't mean that at all. You know, I've got a friend and and, uh, he said this multiple times. Um, He talked about, you know, just share with me how I became a Christian. And one of the first things that he and his wife started doing after they got saved was they started tithing. And he said, and he tells people the story a lot. He said, we couldn't afford not to. We couldn't afford not to. When you're giving away, when you're giving 10% back to God, you have to be a lot more intentional what you're doing with that 90%. Exactly. (laughs) And that's exactly how it should be. And so the command is gone, but the promise remains. And that's why we continue to do this thing. You don't have to do this. Jesus doesn't demand 10%. What does he demand? (laughs) Yeah, everything. Uh, 100%. (laughs) Jesus demands 100%. Now, there's freedom there, and sometimes, hey, whenever there's freedom, we can take, that, we can take advantage of that, we can take that for granted. And I was reading this article in, um, in one of the leadership magazines I get, and it was talking about um, a very bold pastor had this conversation with a couple, and you know, they, they were part of a church, they were involved in ministry, but they never gave anything financial, and they said, well, we know we're not under the law to tithe, and we know that Jesus said we give 100%, and so we just open up our house to people as they're in need, and you know, when our friends come over, we give them snacks and all that, and so we just go by the 100%. And so this guy, I would never say this, I don't have that boldness, <laughs> but he says to them, you know, it's funny how 100% looks an awful lot like nothing. So that's, again, we can take, I would never say that to you, if we, can take, we can take this, we can take advantage of the freedom. You know, parents, what it's like when you give your kids a little bit of freedom and they can take advantage of that. They say, oh, I'm going to do the right thing anyway. So, so there's freedom there. You're not under the command to tithe. And yet some people do. Now, let me tell you, and this is, not, this is not based on Scripture. This is not something I've read. I'm not pulling a quote. I want to share to you one of my personal beliefs, beliefs about tithing and the church. If a church is going to succeed thrive, grow. And what I mean by succeed is share the gospel, change the community, have people get to know Jesus as their Savior, be transformed by Him, live within God's boundaries. If a church is going to succeed, you need a critical number of tithers, and it has nothing to do with money. You need a critical number of tithers, and it has nothing to do with money. Here's what I mean. Once upon a time, even in this country, Christian people tithe no matter what was going on in the life of their church. Just as a matter of discipline, just as a matter of obedience, I'm just going to write this check, I'm just going to put this. Just as part of the routine of being a Christian, we don't do that anymore. If a person's going to tithe now, that means they really believe in what's going on in the life of their church. They really see themselves as an integral part of ministry. You're not going to tithe unless you believe in what your church is doing, unless you trust that the church leadership is using those funds wisely. Am I right? No, oh, just give away time. No, 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 no. We think differently about it now. That's why I say every church needs a critical number of tithers. It's not about money. It's about people who see themselves as a part of the ministry and who have taken on that financial responsibility. And so, again, you don't have to do this thing. You don't have to. But some people choose to because they want to receive that personal blessing from God. The promise still remains. God's promise still remains. 
Ultimately, what this comes down to, and I've said it before, it's a matter of trust. The issue at stake here, it's a little bit about greed. It's a little bit about pride. It's a little bit about greed. And I want my money, and I've earned it, and I'm greedy, and I want to let go of it. Sometimes that could be a factor. Pride, I've earned it. It's mine. I've earned it. I've earned it. I've earned it. You can't take it from me. So there's a little bit of greed, a little bit of pride, but it's mostly a trust issue. Do you trust that God has given you enough? Do you trust that God has given you enough that you'll be able to give him 10% back and say, use this as you see fit? It's a trust issue. Now, there are some questions that come up about tithing that are a little bit more specific. And it's like, hey, do you do the net or the gross and all that kind of stuff? Well, that's between you and God. That's your journey to sort through that stuff with God. I can tell you our journey a little bit, Holly and I, once upon a time, we, we tithed off the net. That's after taxes, right? Isn't that how that works? Yeah. We tithe, I always forget those terms. We tithe off the net at first just because our thinking at the time was, well, that's the money we actually see, so we'll tithe off of that. And then we heard a sermon. It wasn't a particularly good sermon or a passionate sermon. We, just, we heard the Lord speaking to us say, no, give everything. And so it's about the concept of first fruits and giving to God first. And, you know, we can appreciate what our government does with our tax money. <clears throat> we can appreciate that and we should appreciate that. I mean, we should appreciate that. But do we appreciate them more than God? So it's like, okay. So that's, but that's like, we had to sort through that. Some people say, well, that 10%, does that go all to the church? Does that go to other ministries? You figure that out for yourselves. You got to figure that out. You know, again, Holly and I, we, we've always um, been a part of sponsoring a child or a family somewhere. We were sponsoring a kid in Ecuador for a long time until he grew up, and now we're so helping to support a family in Kenya. And so once upon a time, we saw that as part of the tithe. You know what I mean? It was 10% is going to God. But this may not come as a surprise to you. I'm very passionate about the local church. <laughs> I believe in the local church. That's why I'm a pastor of a local church. That's why we planted a local church. I believe that the local church is the most effective way to spread the gospel. And so as I became more convicted about that, we said, well, the tithe goes to the local church. And then whatever we give beyond that, we are giving beyond that. And so we do the 10% to the church, and then we give to support other causes beyond that 10%. That's for you to, that's just our journey. You've got to figure out what you're going to do. That's not for me to say. But just be careful. Just be careful if you're doing this tithe thing, if you're thinking about this tithe thing, because sometimes we can split up that tithe so many different ways, and I'm supporting this radio ministry and that radio ministry and this and that and this and that. It's like, do any of those things, are they really as effective as what the local church can do? So that's a whole other issue for you to sort through. I'm not going to talk about that. You've got to figure that out for yourselves. Bottom line, this is a trust issue. Do you trust that God has given you so much, enough, that you can live off the 90%? Tim Keller, he's, um, he's the pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church amazing in New York City. Uh, just uh, probably one of the greatest thinkers of our time, uh, Christian or otherwise. And uh, he, he, tells, he talks about it this way. It's as if God has given each one of us a house, a big old house with 10 rooms. So this is yours. Have it. Take it. It's yours. It's entirely yours. Um, would you let me stay in one of the rooms? Not a command. I'm going to have to stay here. No, 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 no. Would you let me? And we get to choose whether we say Yes or no. So maybe that's, again, maybe that's an imperfect little comparison or, or, or way to think about it, but that's a way to think about it. Would we let God take up 10% of that? comes down to trust. Do we trust God? Where are we placing our trust? Are we putting it in our checking account? I trust that whatever goes wrong, at least I've got that savings, at least I've got that money, at least I've got that income. Are we putting our trust there or are we putting our trust where it belongs in God and the God that provides? Where do we place our trust? That's the issue. The thing I want to leave you with, the idea that I want to leave you with is this. When it comes to giving money to a ministry, giving money to a church, I would encourage you to think about it as an investment as opposed to thinking of it as charity. Well, it's good to give to charity and to be charitable. 
I would encourage you to think about it as an investment. Actually, anytime you part with your money, I would encourage you to think about it as an investment. You're investing in the food you eat. I'm going to invest in this food. I'm going to buy this food. It's going to give me strength. It's going to nourish me. I'm investing in it. When you invest in, I'm going to invest in this shirt, and it's going to serve me well. Everything you purchase, if you think of it that way, is an investment. And when you put money in an offering plate, that's an investment. Oh, it's charity. I, you know, I want the church to succeed. I, want the, you know, I don't want them to go under. I don't want them not to make their budget. So it's, it's charity. No, it's an investment. Invest in your community invest. This is an investment. I trust this church enough. I believe that they are actually doing good in this community, and I want to invest in that, and I want to see more of it done as an investment. When you invest, you expect to see a return. That's fair, isn't it? (laughs) That's fair, isn't it? And so think of it as an investment, and watch how God will multiply that. Now, I've got this dream. I don't know. Maybe this is not realistic, but wouldn't you like to see this? What if if we did this? I know, you know, like I said, once a year, I'm trying to talk about money. What if a year from now, we had some, somebody else stand up here and tell you their tithing story. Say, you know what? We tried this tithing over the year, and here's how it worked out for us. <laughs> Not to put you on the spot. <laughs> but if you've been on the fence, if you feel like God has been talking to you about this issue, hey, listen, if this is the first time you've ever heard this stuff, look into it more. You know what I mean? I've talked to you for what, 20 minutes? 30? Look into it a little bit more. Nobody's saying you have to make any decisions now. But I'm saying if you're on that fence, if you're thinking about it, if you feel like God is calling you to test him in this way, try it out. Wouldn't it be awesome to hear somebody say, yeah, we've been trying this for a year, and here's how God's blessed us. It'd be awesome to hear that story. And so I throw that challenge out to you. Couples, husbands, wives, if you're here together today, have a conversation with each other about this, okay? Have that conversation. Uh, Wives, if your husband doesn't bring it up at lunch, bring it up at dinner, okay? (laughs) Husbands, be courageous. Be the one to get there first, all right? Have this conversation as a family. Young people, especially just starting out, entering into that workforce. I know I said the tithe isn't easy. It isn't. But the easiest way to do this difficult thing is to start from the get-go. That's what I did. I, you know, there were people in my life who did this thing, and I admired them. I appreciate them. I thought they know what they're doing. And so I kind of just followed suit. You know, you do that thing where you're like, oh, I like that. I'm going to try to be like that person. So I followed suit. And so it became not easy, but routine. It just becomes a given. When we do our budget, we know it's 90% of all that is what we do. And so young people, I encourage you to start from the get-go. And so think of it as an investment. Let this be about trust more than anything else. And again, you know that you have freedom here. Jesus has given us all freedom here. But God has also given us this promise. If we will trust him in this, he will prove himself trustworthy, and he will bless us back. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for all the ways that you have blessed us. We want to give you glory. We want to give you praise. We want to give you credit for all that you've done in our lives. Father, as a, as a collective, um, as a group of people, you know what we've all been through. There have been seasons of joy, seasons of hardship and challenges, but you have been there through it all. And so wherever we are right now as individuals, we thank you for the good that exists and we give you credit for it. We give you praise for the relationships in our lives. We give you praise for the people who encourage us and support us. We give you praise for our finances and we see you as the ultimate source of blessing. Father God, speak to each one of us. We want to give you permission to challenge us. We want to give you permission to clarify clarify things for us. Show us how you would handle the resources you have entrusted to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.